So if you have your Bibles with you tonight, open up to Nehemiah chapter 3. If you have a Bible with you, open up to Nehemiah chapter 3. That's the text we're going to start tonight. We're going to jump through a couple different chapters, as Jeannie mentioned. We have been in a three-week look. This is a third week of a three-week look at the life of Nehemiah and God's specific blueprint for his life and for ours. God's blueprint for the city. Not an amazing piece that Andrew did a little bit ago. I mean, God's heart for the city, the way that God sees the city. And what God's blueprint is for the church. And that's what we're going to look at tonight, what God's blueprint is for the church. And just to recap, if you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, the life of Nehemiah, you can obviously download all of our messages off iTunes. You can grab those there or off our site so you can kind of catch up. But here's just a quick synopsis. Uh, Nehemiah was a nobody. He was actually someone living in exile. So he was living in a foreign land, actually working for a foreign king, but not just any king, a king whose ancestors had actually destroyed his former city or the city of Nehemiah's ancestors, the city of Jerusalem. And so while working for this foreign king in a foreign land, 900 miles away from the city of Jerusalem, God gave Nehemiah a burden for the city, a burden for the city, a holy discontent like we talked about. He could not stand to see the city because the city was in such disarray. It was literally in ruins. Physically and spiritually, morally, the city was demolished. And it had been that way for many years. And we don't know from the text if Nehemiah had ever lived in the city of Jerusalem or ever been to the city of Jerusalem, but he had a vision for the city of Jerusalem. And so from 900 miles away, he asks God to do something great through him for the city. We talked about so many of us, myself included, oftentimes ask God to do great things for us. But it's when we ask God to do great things through us that our lives actually change in the process. And so Nehemiah prays big prayers. Not only that, he makes big requests of this foreign king. He asks the king in his presence, will you let me go back to my city, which, by the way, your family destroyed, to rebuild it? But he doesn't stop there. He prays to God, says, God, give me courage to do what I have to do right now, what you want me to do right now. And he says to the king, not only will you let me go, will you pay for it? Will you underwrite this? And shockingly, the king does. And so Nehemiah goes back, as we looked at last week, and we saw that he had a burning vision for a city in ruins. And the way that he saw the city was that the city wasn't there for him, but he was there for the city. God had given him not only a vision, but a purpose, and it was for the city, the rebuilding of the city, which brings us to where we're at tonight. And we're going to look at exactly how it is that Nehemiah went about rebuilding the city, seeing the vision that God had given him to completion in the city. And it's funny, when I was working on our thoughts for this week and my thoughts for this week and our time together, uh, this last week I was in a Starbucks, uh, which never happens, and, um, and I was there, and, but I made a huge mistake, and it was a huge mistake. Uh, I, I forgot to bring my headphones. And you know in Starbucks, they play the music so loud that you have to have headphones on if you want to work. If you want to actually get something done. Because don't get me wrong, I love the Willie Nelson, Nora Jones songs that they play. Like, I love all, all that stuff. Right? After a while, it's just so loud and so annoying. I need my own music to kind of drown out the other obnoxiously loud music that's playing in Starbucks. I forgot my headphones. I was like, doggone it. Now I actually have to listen. Now I have to be like normal people and I have to listen to this music? All right, that's fine. I'll listen. I'll kind of say. But the funny thing has happened. The music kind of drowned out after a while. What I noticed was the people around me. I guess when I have my headphones on, I just don't pay attention to people. And I noticed kind of what was going on in the Starbucks. And it happens all the time. Maybe you've seen it when you've gone to a Starbucks or wherever it is that you sort of go to work outside of work. Uh, I noticed that there's all kinds of people busy doing all sorts of different things. Specifically, at the table next to me, there were two women planning one of their weddings. So these were two women that met for two hours planning 
a wedding, and they talked exclusively about wedding planning for two hours. I don't think I could talk for five minutes about it. They talked two hours about it, and I learned a lot. They want to have the wedding in a barn. She really wants to have it in a barn, but she needs to have a rain contingency. It might rain, and so we need to have a rain contingency. And the only week in the barn that she wants is available is July 4th, but that might be hard for people because that's their vacation. This was the entire conversation back and forth, and I'm listening to it. I'm going, God, I didn't bring my headphones. But that wasn't it. There was another guy who walked in at one point who always seems to walk into Starbucks with the Bluetooth in his ear. Now, if, if you are this person, we love you and we're so glad that you're here. But let me just say a word about this guy. This guy. He is oblivious to everyone else. And he is talking at like 11 the whole time. And he's talking about, yeah, yeah, no, no, I think we should make the deal. Let's make the deal happen. Yeah, yeah, no, it's totally great. Hey, would you give me? I mean, he's like doing his whole thing. Like he owns the place. And I have to listen to him. And I'm thinking to myself, whoever invented the Bluetooth must be shot right now. Like they need to be taken back because they, st- they didn't finish it. What they should have done is built a Bluetooth helmet <laughs> that fully surrounds, like an astronaut's helmet that fully surrounds the person so we don't have to deal with their business dealings the entire time. And so I'm having to listen to this guy do his whole thing on his Bluetooth. I'm like, all right, I don't normally have to listen to this. But on top of that, there was another person who wasn't nearly as loud. She was working on some sort of paper for school because maybe you've seen this person there too. She had books, like it was literally like a library, books falling off the table and scratch pads and notes. And she was writing some sort of dissertation on something with psychology is all I could pick up because she was across the Starbucks from me. And it's funny, like I noticed that for the first time while I was trying to work on our thoughts here for this weekend, looking at the life of Nehemiah, All those folks were hard at work. They were hard at work in that moment, building something. They were building something. For for the people sitting right next to me, they were building an event, a wedding event, that they would hope would be a wonderful, beautiful event. For the guy that walked in, he was building his career. He was building some sort of business portfolio or wealth portfolio, whatever it was he was working on. He was building something. The person who was working on her schoolwork was building. She was finishing up her, hopefully, schoolwork so she could build a wonderful career that comes from a diploma that no one really looks at anymore. So she was at work. Everyone was building something. And none of those things were bad things in and of themselves. The thing that I thought, for the, really for the first time, as I was looking through and studying through the life of Nehemiah and the vision that he had and what he built, I began to wonder, does any of the things that these people are working on, does any of the stuff that they are building, is any of it going to outlast them? All these things that are not bad things, very important in the moment, are any of these things actually bigger than them? Will any of these things outlast their lifetime? Whether it's a wedding, whether it's school, whether it's a career, whether it's your money, whatever it is, not bad things. The question I wonder, as I look at the life of Nehemiah is, does it outlast them? Whatever it is that they're building. Nehemiah had a vision to build the city, to rebuild the city. And he knew that it was a bigger vision than just stones and walls and gates. He was building something that would outlast him, that was greater than him, that would go on well beyond him. He was building something of God. And anytime you are at work building something of God, it has the power and potential to go well beyond you. In fact, it usually does. So, I want you to keep your Bibles open to Nehemiah chapter 3. We're going to look at how Nehemiah goes about building the wall. We looked last week that he went and he surveyed the city. He kind of got a a glimpse of what was going on, spent a couple days doing that. He rallied the people together. He said, look, God's hand is at work here. We are building something of God. 
And he has already provided for us. And the people said, let's do it. Let's get to the good work, as the text says. So the way Nehemiah goes about it is really interesting. Because if it were any of us, we'd think, okay, where do you go to build a city? Like, uh, Yelp? Like, who do you look for for that? Craigslist? Like, who do you sub out to build a city? Right? So Nehemiah's vision was very, very, very specific. Because he knew that the how of building the city was directly connected to the who. He said how we're going to build the city is through the who. We are, going to, we are going to rebuild the city. We, you and I, are going to rebuild this city. And so in Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1, and for several chapters, Nehemiah gives us painstaking detail of the how and the who. And we're going to read some of it just to see if I can pronounce half of these names right. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. We'll put it up on the screens. This is how Nehemiah talks about the how and the who. And stay with me here. I may, made you read, like, I may make you read this with me. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow high priest, went to work to rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated as far as the Tower of Hanel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section. And Zakur, his brothers of the Tupac Zakur, son of Imri, <laughs> built next to them. You've got to read your Bible, folks. Moving on, Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 3. The fish gate, he keeps going. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasena. They laid its beams and put its doors and its bolts and its bars in place. Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him was Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabel, made repairs. And next to him, Zadok, y'all know Zadok, son of Benah, also made repairs. He is going to great length. And I can keep reading. He keeps going on naming name after name after name and section after section after section of the how and the who the city was rebuilt with. And the interesting thing Nehemiah does is he goes into great length. You can read this on your own. It's amazing the detail that's in the Bible. The very specific details that's in the Bible. What he's doing is he's showing us that the people were going to be the ones who rebuilt the city. That it wouldn't be done by professionals. It wouldn't be done by outsiders. It would be done by owners by people who are already in the city, ordinary, everyday people, and he put them to work right where they were at. Now jump down to verse 13, because he keeps going. He talks about the valley gate. The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zenoa. They rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. They also repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Stop. The third grader in me can't move past this verse. Because when I read this, as a, like when I was younger, I'd read this before. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What? The dung gate? Seriously? That's awesome. Like, there's a dung gate? And there is. In Nehemiah 3.14, the dung gate was repaired by Melchizedek, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of beth Hakaram, And he rebuilt it and put his doors and bolts and bars in place. Now listen, for me... That is an awesome detail to put in the Bible. If I were writing the Bible, I probably wouldn't put the dung gate detail in there. Because as a kid, I imagined an entire gate and section of the wall built out of dung. I know. I know you did too. And can you imagine what it must have been like to live by the dung gate? You're meeting someone, you're out having drinks. Oh, so what part of town are you from? Oh, just south side. Oh, Southside, really? Oh, yeah, I'm from Southside. Where are you from? It's far, that's far, far, far Southside. Where are you at? My, my folks grew up in far Southside. Where, where, where specifically? What neighborhood? Um, the Dungate. I'm oh, sorry, what was that? That's Dungate. You live where? The Dungate. I live across the street from the Dungate. 
You know where it's at. You can smell it. It's, it's right by Gary, Indiana. Like, you know that... I'm just, no, because that's, geographically, that's where it would be. No, geographically, that's where it would be. I kid, I kid, I kid, I kid, I kid. This was amazing. This is amazing. I was in Jerusalem a few years ago, and I really wanted to see the Dungate, and we brought a picture of it because I imagined something so not built out of dung. That's what it was, and I was so disappointed when I got there because it's just normal, and there it is, and it's not very exciting, but every time I say it, I giggle. So... Nehemiah puts people to work, even the people in front of the dung gate. Even the dung gate had to be rebuilt. And it's a, it's a rough part of town. This is where sheep and goats go to, you know. So you can fill in the blanks. This is what happens. Jump down to Nehemiah. Jump ahead one chapter. Nehemiah 4, 6. The people worked hard. Even the people at the dung gate went hard to work. And look how Nehemiah describes it. He says, so at this point, they rebuilt the wall till all of it reached about half its height. But look what he says about the who behind the how. For the people worked with all their what? Heart. The people worked with all their heart. You have to understand, this is a city that had been in ruins for years, for decades, for as long as we can tell, Nehemiah's lifetime. The city had laid in ruins, physically and spiritually. And Nehemiah comes with a vision of God, and he puts people to work right where they're at. And the text tells us that they worked with all their heart. It mattered to them because it was their city. It was their city. It was their neighborhood. It was right across from their house. And these are not professional city builders. These are not folks who are skilled at city building or wall building or gate building. How do I know this? Because if they had been, they would have what? Rebuilt it by now. They would have rebuilt it by now. Had they been gate builders and wall builders and had they been skilled craftsmen when it comes to city building, had they been city planners and architects, they would have built the city by now. But they weren't. They were shepherds. They were farmers. They were everyday folks just like you and me who had full plates, who had families, who had commitments, who had soccer practice, who had all kinds of jury duty. They had everything just like you and I. These are folks Ordinary, everyday folks who had probably never built a wall before in their life, let alone the walls to the city, let alone the gates to the city of the great city of Jerusalem. These were ordinary, everyday people who had never done something this great before in their lives. And God is at work, and God is rebuilding the city, and they got to be a part, and it was so enthralling and thrilling and invigorating that they worked with all their heart. Now, we don't have time to go into it, but the text tells us that there was great opposition to the wall being built. There were some folks who were kind of ruling this wasteland of Jerusalem, quasi-religious sort of leaders that were ruling this ruin, the city in ruin, and they opposed Nehemiah and these ordinary people at every step and at every turn. They literally were threatening them to the point of killing them for rebuilding the wall. Again, these are like shepherds who are trying to do this great work of God, and they're being threatened by the life, so much so that Nehemiah has to build like an army to protect these ordinary folks to build this great thing that God was doing. There was opposition. There was great risk. There was great sacrifice. But these people knew that they were building something greater than themselves, something that would outlast them. 
at great risk and at great cost, they worked with all their heart. With all their heart. Now jump ahead to Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4. Nehemiah 7, verse 4. We get to see after a lot of details and a lot more names, the city was finally finished. The work was finally done. Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4. Now the city was large and spacious. This is once they'd completed it. But look what Nehemiah notices. But there were what? Few people in it. Why? Because they'd been in exile for all these years. They had left the city. The city was in ruins. They had left the city. And we've seen a similar thing happen in our city. For the last 50 years, the majority of folks have left the city. And with them, many churches have left the city and gone out into the suburbs, which is great because that's where a lot of people are. That's where I live. That's where I, many of you live in or have lived in the suburbs. The church had left and moved out with people. But we're seeing something very interesting now in our city of Chicago. People are coming back. And Nehemiah noticed that the city wasn't full, that there wasn't people in it. And so he dedicates the next great work to bringing people back home, to bringing people back home to the city. This is an amazing thing that that happens because it was people who actually got to make the city, but Nehemiah knew that it was people who actually make the city. That a city is not a city without people, right? Right? City's not a city without people. I mean, you can build a great city and have all kinds of great things. If people don't live there, it's like it's a museum. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. And so Nehemiah knew that while people had worked hard with all their heart to make the city, that the city was not full. And it's people who make the city. And so he began the work of bringing people home, letting them know that the city had been rebuilt by God and by ordinary people like you and me. And here's the amazing thing. When I was in Jerusalem a few years back, I was blown away to walk past a section of town where the walls that ordinary people like you and me built are still there. And here's a picture of what that looks like. I want to show you guys. That's actually the wall that was actually built by Nehemiah, an ordinary, everyday, non-city building people like you and me. It's still there. Now the city has built up over on top of it. They've excavated, they've dug down, and they have found the wall that thousands of years ago, ordinary people worked with all their heart to build something greater than themselves, and it's still there. You can go and see it. It's just out there. It's just there. You can go and still see it to this day, to this very day. And as you think about that work, that city, which still is incredible, the city of Jerusalem, incredibly historically, culturally significant today. The work that those ordinary people did that still lasts, that still stands, that still reverberates throughout history. I can't help but think of what we are building around here. What we have the opportunity of been invited by God to build. That the church, just like cities, the church is nothing without people. That it's God who actually builds a church, it's his church, but he involves and invites people like you and me. We get to make the church, and the church, the church is nothing without people. And we have the opportunity to actually build something bigger than ourselves, build something that will actually outlast our lifetime. You and I get to ordinary people like you and me, not professional church building people, believe me. We get to build something greater than, bigger than, that will outlast our life. It's not only no different than the city, 
it's better than the city. And as we looked at last week, the state of our city, how wonderful and how tough things are in our city, I believe with all my heart that it is the church, the church, people who make the church that can actually make a difference in this city. I believe it. Politicians are great. Laws are great. Reform is great. All kinds of great effort. Our city works hard, works together. That's all great. But I believe it's the church that actually makes a difference in the city and makes the city into what God actually intends it to be. And so the question for you and I to consider as we look at our lives and think about what it is that we are building, the question for you to think about is, have you ever wondered where it is that churches like this actually come from? How do churches even get here? How is that? Because you can drive by our neighborhood and you can see a lot of beautiful, old, you can drive anywhere in the city, see some beautiful, old churches. Where did those come from? Because they had to come from somewhere. Some point, someone built those churches. At some point, someone got their hands dirty and got involved and sacrificed at great risk and built that church. You know, have you ever thought about, even this church, when you think about it, for those of you who are new or kind of coming around our story, have you ever thought about where churches come from? Churches don't just appear. They don't just magically appear. They are built. They are built by ordinary people just like you and me. Just like we see in the story of Nehemiah. Ordinary people just like you and me. If the church is ever going to make a difference in the city, it is going to be built by ordinary people just like you and me. And so the question for you to consider, wherever you may be at, some of you guys have been Christians for a long time. You call yourself a Christian. You're like professional Christians. You've got badges. You've got all kinds of books and things to prove that you're a Christian. That's fantastic. Some of you are kind of new to the God thing, or you're still checking out the God thing. This question is for every one of us, no matter where you would put yourself spiritually. Here's the question for you to consider. What is it that you're building? What is it that you're building with your life? And will it outlast you? What is it that you're building with your life? And is it bigger than you? Is it greater than you? Will it outlast your lifetime? Listen, when I finished my 16 months at Blockbuster Video in high school, they didn't build, to my surprise, a monument in my behalf saying that this was the greatest CSR, that's customer service representative, that Blockbuster has ever seen. Had they done that, maybe they wouldn't be in the state that they are as a business today. Shockingly, when I left that job, they gave my job to someone else. Did not last me. When I finished school and got my degree and got all that, finished, did all the studying that I was supposed to do, they didn't shut the school down once I was done saying, we have reached the pinnacle of education. We have graduated our finest student into the world. This, no, someone took my dorm the next year. Someone took my bed, my room the next year. It just moved on. Jeannie and I, we had a wonderful wedding, loved our wedding. And listen, I spent months planning that wedding. I helped Jeannie plan that wedding. We had a beautiful wedding. It was a beautiful event. Now, it happened, and it was done. And while our marriage outlasts that day, that wedding is gone. And the money it cost, really gone. (laughs) It didn't outlast us. That day, that moment that we worked so hard on, that we stressed about and gave our energy and our thoughts and all that to, and we worked so hard to get everyone there, gone. It didn't outlast us. What are you building? And will it outlast you? Is it bigger than you? Greater than you? Does it demand something of you? Is there risk involved? 
Is there sacrifice involved? Now, I've seen this firsthand. I've seen this in this church, in this space. Jeannie mentioned we're a new church. Nine months ago, we, didn't, we weren't in this building. We weren't in this building. We were praying for this building, but we weren't in. We haven't even been in this building for nine months. But a little less than nine months ago, God moved on the hearts of those who own this building to give it to our church rent-free for two years. And I watched people get in the trenches and build something bigger than themselves. And we built this church. Years ago, it used to be a car, uh, one of the biggest car dealerships, Ruby Chevrolet, one of the biggest car dealerships in the country. It moved. For a while, it was a couple different things, and it was a photography studio. That totally busted. In fact, they ran out of money and quit so quick that they left desks and chairs and a kitchen behind, all of which you can walk around and still see us using in this church. We recycled every stick they left behind. And I watched people, many of whom were in this room. And you see the pictures of them behind me at work. Many people in this room went to work, went to work building this church. I think we have pictures. Well, eventually we will. Went to work building this church. This floor, the stage, these walls. You should have seen this room. You should have seen it before. All the pipe and unnecessary stuff that was up on the ceilings. All of it pulled down. There's the men's bathroom, which I highly recommend you visiting, if you're a guy. I highly recommend you visiting <laughs> right outside these doors. It was previously a storage closet. That's all we didn't know. It wasn't a bathroom. It was a storage closet. And we were pulling up the carpet one day because we were going to do the floors, and we saw a drain. And we were like, wait a second. Why is a drain doing in a closet? That seems weird. And we're no experts. Again, we're just like the people in Nehemiah's story. We don't build churches for a living. We thought something was up. And so we started pulling the walls away, and we noticed wait a second, this used to be a bathroom. And they made it a closet. That doesn't make sense. That's Chicago. And so we started pulling things away and realized, we've got a bathroom here. And I've never been so excited or celebrated the miracle of a men's bathroom before. <laughs> I was like, God has provided. We have a bathroom. And it's, it's not necessarily a rally cry like Nehemiah's, but still, the point is, we saw God, we have seen God provide, and we have put our hands to work. People you still see volunteering, serving, working all around this church. I guess we don't have the pictures. Amazing. We can, you can go on our Flickr page and see them because we documented all of the work of what this place was and not only how God transformed this space, but who God used to transform this space. Amazing work. And here's the crazy thing. People have worked hard, hard, and still work hard, not just in the physical building, but in serving and volunteering. There's volunteers right now that are watching and growing and shaping our kids. Last week, our Soul City Kids leaders were teaching about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And you know what they did? They washed our children's feet. And as a dad, you know, I see Nate, you know, this moody student, washing my son's feet. And I go, that is someone who's put their life in the game. I mean, that's about as low, that's as dungate as you can get. <laughs> Back in the corner, and the kids, Soul City kids, washing a five-year-old's feet. And I've looked, I could name name after name, name after name after name, just like Nehemiah did. We could go all night telling you how people have sacrificed and continue to sacrifice with their hands, with their time, with their resources. And some of you, 
you're just kind of coming in. You're like, I had no idea. I just thought it appeared. I had no idea where it came from. Here's the great thing. There's still work to be done. Great work to be done. God is still inviting who into how he is building his church. And that who is you. I don't know if you've noticed, you look around, this room is full. We're just not even four months old yet, and we have maxed out this space. We are filling out this space. And so we are very, very excited to let you know that in just two short months, we're going to be adding a second service here at Soul City Church, which is cool, which is cool. And here's the great thing. It's at 10 a.m., which is very great for some of you. Some of you are like, nope, still going to go to the five. I'm still asleep. Fantastic for them. But we are adding, because we are running out of room here at this church, God is moving, and people's lives are changing and being transformed in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we have to, in just two short months, Easter Sunday, we will go and have just, on April 24th, Easter Sunday, we'll have a 10 a.m. service, just a 10 a.m. service. But every week thereafterwards, 10 a.m. and 5 p.m., 10 a.m., 5 p.m. Here's the great thing. Again, you can look at that and go, awesome, I have options. That's great. We'd love for you to have options. We like to have actually your friends have options as well because it's a big deal to come to church. And I have friends whose names I've written on these walls. They don't do church. And so I'm like, look, yo, if you'll come to church at 3 in the morning on a Wednesday, we'll do church, whatever it takes, like if that's what it takes. So we are providing options for our friends who are far from God. And for some of us, that works out a lot better, especially for folks who have families to come to a Sunday morning service. There is great work to be done, though, to get to that place. Because again, churches don't just appear. They are built by people just like you and me. And we need to literally double our volunteers at this church. We have to double our teams because guess what? We're doubling our Sunday services. So it just kind of makes sense. We need more folks to get skin in the game and to step up just like the people in Nehemiah's story, just like we just read the last couple weeks to say, I'm not a professional church builder. None of us are. Honestly, I'm a volunteer here. I don't get paid to do this. I'm a volunteer here just like every one of you. But I know that what I do here is bigger than me. I've seen it. Next week, we're baptizing people at our church. We're baptizing. We're not even four months old, and we're baptizing people. They're going to they're literally publicly profess their life belongs to Jesus Christ, and they're a part of what God is doing here at this church. It's big, that's bigger than me. Anything else I'm building in my life, that's bigger than that. And I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss the opportunity of building something bigger than you that will far outlast you. In fact, the implications of which actually reverberate through eternity that the landscape of heaven changes when you get involved in building a local church. The landscape of heaven changes. And so we're going to ask a lot. I remember there was a, a couple I met early on at the start of this church, and we were just starting the church and get it going. I was talking to them, making small talk, kind of getting to know them. So I'm like, so what, tell me what you guys do. What are you good at? And the wife immediately said to the husband, don't tell them what we're good at because they'll ask us to do it. <laughs> First, honest. Second, yep, you're totally right. Like, that's, you nailed it. And for some of you, there are things that you are good at. And last week, we had a meeting here called Next, where people figure out how to take their next steps and get more involved. We had a meeting here on Wednesday night for the upper room, where we gathered together our volunteers and leaders, and we worshiped and prayed together and talked about how it is that we can actually put our skin in the game at great risk, at great cost, ordinary, everyday people just like you and me, to build something bigger than us. So listen, here's what I'm telling you right now. Some of you have been coming around here to Soul City Church for a while now. 
and you love it, right? It's great. The coffee's great. The whole place is great. For some of you, it's time to step up and get in the game. And I don't say that because we need you to do something. That's what she was telling her husband, like, they're going to ask us to do something. No, I'm not asking you. We're not asking you to do anything. We're actually, we're trying to involve you in what God's doing. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to build small things with your life. I want you to build great things with your life and to give the best part of yourself to something better than and bigger than you. And so for some of you, it's time. Some of you, when we pass the blue buckets around, we are so grateful for your generosity. Do you know, though, for us, it's not about the money. We don't need your money. We trust God that God will provide. The greater transactions between you and God and you saying, you know what, I know where these resources come from, and if these can be used to build something greater than I, then how much more can I give? And for my wife and I, just a few weeks ago, it was a joy for us to go online and up our financial giving. And we've never made less and given more in our life. And I've never been more content. I've never been happier. Still stressful, still don't know where it's going to come from, but I've seen God provide. And for some of you, it is time for you to get serious about the investment you make at this church. Again, not for us, but for you. So that you can be a part of something that God's doing, which is so much greater than you. Now again, if you're a guest and you're freaking out, like, dude, I seriously just came here because I, I heard there's cute girls and cute guys. I'm like, I don't, like, now I have to do something? Well, if you're a guest, enjoy. Sit back. You've got like three or four weeks till we talk to you. So just <laughs> enjoy it. You know, kick back, be anonymous, do whatever you want to do. We're about something greater than ourselves. We're about something greater than playing church in the city. We are about building a church that changes the city from the inside out. And we are about our lives being changed in the process. And I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss that. And so for some of you, it's going to take some real, okay, what's this going to mean? There's going to be a sacrifice. There's going to be a risk. It's going to come at a cost. You think, man, listen, I, I live in a dung gate. I, there's nothing I got. I got nothing of value to offer you. Yes, you absolutely do. Don't you sell God short like that. Yes, you absolutely do. Yes, you absolutely do. You get to be a part of building a church in this great city that outlasts your lifetime, and lives literally are and will be changed because of it. So we're going to pray right now. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to just take a second and reflect and pause and go, okay, God, what does this mean? Again, for some of you, your guests, just let this kind of be, just if you're like first, second time here, just assume this is for everyone else. Maybe God's stirring something up in you. But for those of you here, who've been made this your home, you're part of Soul City, you're, maybe some of you are already giving, you're already involved, I want us to just take a second to really wrestle through, God, what would it look like for me to be a part of what you're doing even more, to be the who behind the how of this church here in this city? So let's just pray for a second. I'd ask that you just be quiet. If it, it means you kind of just close your eyes to sort of get any distractions out, I just want to give you a second to sort of do some dialogue with God about what might that mean, God, with my time. What might that mean, God, with my energy, my abilities, my talents? What might that mean, God, with my, my resources? God, how can I invest in something that will outlive me, that will affect others, not just me? God, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you that I have the opportunity and the privilege to be a part of this. And I know, God, it's not just about Soul City Church. There are wonderful, wonderful churches. The same story is being written all over the city and all over this world. But this is the one you have me at, God. 
And I thank you I get to be a part of it. That an ordinary person like me gets to be a part of something extraordinary that you're doing. And I thank you for my friends and those who've become close friends as we've done this good work together. And God, we know there's more work to be done. We thank you, God, that we have to add more seats to reach more people. God, we pray that thousands of people in this city, thousands, God, will come to know you. That's your desire, God, that every single person in this city will come to know you in a transforming relationship with you. God, that you would use us to be a part of that, that you would do that great thing through us and through this church, God. We want to see the city like you see it, God. We thank you that we have to add more seats and more gatherings, God, and more people are coming and finding you through this church. God, I don't want to miss a minute of it. Thank you for those who've been a part of it. And thank you, God, tonight for those who are going to step up and say, I want to be a part. I want to be a part of something greater than me. Thank you, God, that it's your work, your church, in the city that you love, that we get to be a part of. In your name, amen.